everyone or maybe you're watching this early in the morning or in the middle of the afternoon or listening to it then whatever regardless of what time it is wherever you are uh thank you very much for tuning in uh, i'm joseph Fortado. joining me tonight is luke ford and uh we are of no known relation even though uh we have the same surname in our uh in our respective names luke how's it going great uh joseph it's good to talk to you again it's very good to speak with you. It always is. Uh, the Ford family, of course, I'll just say this has, has an interesting history. The English originally from, from Devon back then, way back when it was called Devonshire. Uh, and then they went out all over the place. My Fords wound up going to what's now Northern Ireland and from there to uh, the Northeast. Uh, and your Fords obviously left Devon for uh, ultimately Australia. Uh, so, yeah, the Fords are a very mobile uh, Anglo-Saxon family. Yeah, you, you might know more about the Fords than I do. <laughs> uh, I, I've, I've made it my business. They, they are of Viking origin originally. The opposite name Ford is the anglicization of Fjord. And uh, in Devon, there are steep cliffs uh, along the, the shoreline. So uh, it's not surprising as to why Vikings who live there got the name Ford. Anyway, though, that is uh, a very brief, interesting look at the uh, Ford lineage. Now, uh, talking about something much more contemporary, uh, there are great winds of change, which are either blowing or uh, somebody's trying to blow them uh, in the economy, in the American economy. Uh, Joe Biden is trying to basically reorient America to a greener pasture, in a manner of speaking, and he intends to use the federal government in order to get this done. And his plans uh, were very well summarized in an article in The Economist, which I will get to momentarily. The article was published on the 2nd of February, uh, which is today, that's a Thursday, obviously 2023. Uh, Luke, uh, I, I, I did send you the article. Uh, anything to say about this before I get into it? Because it's very interesting uh, how there is this aggressive push from Uncle Sam to get something like this done. But at the same time, there's a lack of vision and foresight, generally speaking, uh, in federal politics today. Uh, a lot of partisanship, obviously not a lot of people focusing on much grander than, uh, you know, scoring points in the immediate sense, uh, particularly in the age of social media. Uh, so this is, is sort of like a return to the 1960s style, you know, uh, LBJ politicking that Biden has set out. And of course, the great society was no great success and i doubt this would be either but anyway what are your views on this uh unique state of affairs well one way that i'm trying to think about it is let, let's say none of this was done like what would america's prospects look like if none of this was done and who would gain and who would lose if none of this legislation was passed so if none of this legislation was passed then ordinary Americans and ordinary entrepreneurs, right, would be in much better shape. Obviously, this new you know, legislation passed by the Biden administration is going to put more money and more power in the hands of experts. So non-experts, right, people who aren't particularly politically connected, who aren't, you know, strongly connected to the, you know, the high grounds of culture and, and finance and academia and non-governmental organizations, right, people who aren't connected would have done much better without any of this legislation being passed. But given that it's passed, it's putting more money and more resources and more prestige and more control over our lives into the hands of experts. Now, I'm not... I'm not I'm not fully a populist because I don't believe that uh, virtue lies with the people. At the same time, I don't believe that virtue inherently lies with the experts either. I am intermediate between the people and the experts. So sometimes I think the experts are right and the people 
are wrong. So generally speaking, with regard to COVID, I believe that the experts were more, more right than they were wrong. So we may have had an excessive number of lockdowns. We may have oversold the benefits of some uh, the promoted policies with, with regard to, to COVID. But overall, in my perception of things, the experts were more right than the, the populace who have a certain ordinary courage that they refuse to go along with anything that they don't understand, such as vaccines. So now we're going to have, you know, enormous sums of money going to experts. So people who can network and who can establish consensus, such as, you know, with the news media, with academics and with NGOs can have access to enormous funds of money and who's going to hold them accountable because, we're moving, as, as the philosopher Stephen Turner puts it, away from, from democracy where you get to vote for, for the rules that will govern your life to an era where we're increasingly ruled by experts and ordinary people don't have the expertise, generally speaking, to challenge the experts. And so this is going to exacerbate this, this trend. So it, it seems obvious to me that a lot of this money being poured into green energy is going to be wasted. It's going to go to the politically, socially connected to those who have ties to the, to the elite. So if we didn't do any of this, then regular, regular Americans would have you know, more opportunities. So regular Americans are now going to have fewer opportunities, except if they're willing to do what they're told if they're willing to you know sign up for these programs if they're willing to you know go along to get along to to join the the gravy train to you know join the the green revolution then then they'll have you know highly regulated jobs where they have to bow the knee to experts so ordinary americans seem to have less power as a result of all this legislation experts seem to have more it's not at all clear to me that this is bad for America. Uh, my, my inclination is this is not good for America. But my, my leaning is like 75-25. So I'm 75% sure that, that this Biden legislation overall is not good for America. But I'm 25% open that it may well be, that uh, may very well be a better thing to put trillions of dollars in the hands of experts rather than you know ordinary Americans. That's my first thought. Uh, before, I, well, I, I, I already said before I get into the article, but I just thought of something, given what you were uh, mentioning. Uh, this uh, green uh, scheme from Biden reminds me of Solyndra. Uh, that name may sound familiar to some people. Uh, I'm going to read just a bit about it from an article at the Cato Institute published in 2015. It is titled Solyndra, a case study in green energy cronyism and the failure of central planning. It was written by David Boas. Back in 2011, I wrote several times about the failure of Solyndra, the solar panel company that was well-connected to the Obama administration. Then, as with so many stories, the topic passed out of the headlines, and I lost touch with it. And then he quotes a Washington Post article, which I'll read a bit from here. Top leaders of a troubled solar panel company that cost taxpayers a half billion dollars repeatedly misled federal officials and omitted information about the firm's financial prospects as they sought to win a major government loan, according to a newly released federal investigative report. Solyndra's leaders engaged in a, quote, pattern of false and misleading assertions, end quote, that drew a rosy picture of their company enjoying robust sales while they lobbied to win the first clean energy loan the new administration awarded in 2009. A lengthy investigation uncovered. The Silicon Valley startup's dramatic rise and then collapse into bankruptcy two years later became a rallying cry for critics of President Obama's signature program to create jobs by injecting billions of dollars into clean energy firms. That's all I'll read from the WAPO, Washington Post article, or uh, the, the Cato article. Uh, now, uh, Luke, uh, obviously the Solyndra example uh, seems especially relevant here. I don't expect this uh, the second time to prove the charm. Uh, what's your take on what's going on now relative to uh, what happened with Solyndra? Right. So that's that's the that's the easy response. That's the knee jerk response. Solyndra kind of epitomizes uh, the green energy boondoggle. 
but let's take uh, the fossil fuel opposite of that so fracking so according to a new york times article a few months ago if you invested a dollar in fracking on average you earned 70 cents back you took a 30 percent you know loss between 2010 and 2020 according to this new york times article you know fracking lost 200 billions in the billion dollars in the United States. Now, there are many benefits from from fracking. We we achieved energy independence, but it, it came at an enormous price. So I do think it is possible, but that the experts will spend this money, say, in a more economically efficient way than with regard to fracking. My my gut sense is that uh, the odds are about 75% that it won't be as successful as fracking. And uh, remember, the success of fracking is, you know, the average dollar invested had a a 30% loss. So if the average dollar invested in green energy has only a 30% loss, then I will be pleasantly surprised. And now getting to the uh, article in The Economist, uh, it is titled Joe Biden's Effort to Remake the Economy's Ambitious, Risky, and Selfish. And then it says underneath the title, but America's plan to spend $2 trillion could help save the planet. Uh, Once again, published on the 2nd of February. Uh, I'll read a bit from the beginning. Get behind the wheel of an electric vehicle made in Detroit and drive south. The outline of a city that was once a byword for industrial decline fades in the rearview mirror. Head into Ohio, where the battery under your feet was made. The semiconductors that regulate its charging speed were made there, too, in a vast new factory that counts the Pentagon among its biggest customers. Recharge with electricity transmitted from one of West Virginia's new nuclear plants. Then start the long journey into the heartlands. After the endless wind farms of Kansas, you drive through Oklahoma's vast solar fields, then loop back to the Gulf Coast. The trip ends by the water, the bright sun glinting off a spanking new green hydrogen plant. This is America in 2023 if the Biden administration has its way. Now, uh, obviously, this is very uh, idealistic stuff. Uh, and uh, it's, it, I, I, you know, something like this is something close to, to fantasy in terms of, you know, how could anything go quite so well? Uh, but it, I think it is a, a reasonably good approximation of what the Biden administration hopes to see. I think it's tremendously unlikely, however. Uh, Luke, anything to say about the beginning of this Economist article? Right. So one thing about the news media, and and you have to understand everything in its its genre. So the news media is a genre that uh, tends to stick to the same emotional tone to pretty much every major story, whether it comes from The Economist or NBC News or LA Times. And so obviously there is tremendous news media enthusiasm for green energy. And there is tremendous news media alarm about the threat of global warming. Why is there so much news media you know, reaction along these very predictable patterns? Because the news media are essentially the lap dogs, lap dogs of the experts. So for those who study climate change, there is a consensus that uh, man-made you know, climate change is damaging the, pleasant, the, the planet. And so the news media acts as the lap dog of the experts. Now, climate change, there are just so many variables, so many complications that there are so many, there are so many problems. If you go against the consensus, you know, trying, trying to make a living, trying to, you know, get, get published in the area. So the news media increasingly just, you know, dishes out what the experts tell them because expertise is, is increasingly going beyond what ordinary people can uh, comprehend. So, the media repeats what the experts tell them, or the, the media repeats what uh, bureaucrats tell them. And so maybe the, the experts are right, but given you know the number of, of moving pieces and given the news media's just inherent nature of adopting the same emotional tone to, to every news major news story, it, it makes me skeptical. And I'm thinking, for example, when I was in Australia, there were all these atmospheric rivers hitting California. And pretty much every major news story that I I read about this said this was the result of global warming. And then 
about two weeks ago, there was this very brave LA Times story saying that uh, these atmospheric rivers had nothing to do with global warming. So sometimes you do get these these brave stories in, in the mainstream media that, that go against the consensus. So if this lone LA Times story is accurate, then the, the coverage by virtually every other media organization of California's atmospheric rivers was, you know, substantially false, all right? From the Times of London to, you know, the various, uh, the Guardian to, you know, newspapers, media organizations in France and Germany and Scandinavia and Central and South America, there was just overwhelming consensus that these atmospheric rivers were the result of climate change. But this LA Times article made a, you know, very strong argument that, it had absolutely nothing to do with global warming and, and climate change. So you see here a stimulus. The media jumps on the stimulus of a lot of rain in California and then, you know, unites around a similar emotional tone. Oh, this is this is the result of uh, climate change. And it may well be that that was just entirely fallacious. So that's why I'm so skeptical of the efficacy and the goodness of increasing rule by experts. Now, sometimes I, I think they absolutely are right rather than the, the populace. But uh, overall, I'm, I'm highly skeptical of these forms of legislation. As am I, by the way. And uh, I am not someone who necessarily prefers populism to uh, expertise, to say the least. Uh, in most cases, I'm inclined to trust uh, people who are learned in any given subject matter, so long as they're speaking about the subject matter that they're knowledgeable in. But of course, experts can and do mislead people all the time. Uh, and so one has to have a healthy dose of skepticism uh, either way. Uh, there's the madness of crowds, and then there is the madness of so-called elites. Uh, now, talking about what is going on with uh, the Biden administration. Uh, over the last uh, two years, there have been three bills passed by Congress, and uh, one has to do with, uh, with the, they pertain to, I can get into each of them, they take too long, but uh, these bills pertain to infrastructure, uh, chips for some semiconductor chips, and of course, uh, various green uh, matters, we'll just put it that way. It's a little complicated, but uh, I think the oversimplification will do well enough for the purposes of this conversation. And uh, the, the, the combined effect of these bills is to uh, place $2 trillion uh, out there for use by Uncle Sam in order to reorient America's economy. It, it's it's, the, uh, it's this, this uh, notion that Uncle Sam can, through... Uh, the, his own sheer uh, might <laughs> reshape how America does business for the sake of a green future. The idea is to have a reindustrialization uh, phenomenon uh, it, that somehow also makes national security more robust. Uh, it will help out areas that have been economically devastated, particularly in the Rust Belt, and some in some way, uh, blue-collar workers who've been voting more Republican lately uh, will uh, benefit from this and presumably come back to the Democratic Party as such. Uh, so, and then of course, there's the idea that carbon emissions will be drastically reduced, and somehow this two trillion dollar, uh, these two trillion dollars are going to get the job done. Uh, it's 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 strange, a sort of a centrally planned. Uh, policy of industry, because like I said, this is going back to the days of LBJ, basically the idea that central planning would eliminate poverty in America. That obviously didn't happen. Uh, but this is really, uh, really something else, especially at a time when inflation is such a big deal. The $2 trillion are not going to cut down on inflation. That is for certain. Uh, so it's, 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 it, 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 this comes at an odd time, uh, chronologically, in that you know something of this nature really is from the past, as I've been saying with the Great Society. It also comes at an odd time in terms of uh, where the economy is at, because inflation is such a hot-button issue. Uh, Luke, anything to say about what I've brought up? Right. So inflation, inflation surprised me. So this is one area where I was wrong and all my chat was, was right. They, they saw, you know, inflation problems coming much more quickly than I did. I was skeptical and I was wrong. Uh, I had kind of more of a, I guess, a, a Paul Krugman, you know, I was skeptical of the inflation scenario and it, it arrived. And one would think that this would just uh, 
prime the pump for for more inflation. Now, one thing that uh, Biden is doing is that he is walking away largely from globalism. This this legislation, as the economist points out, is is highly selfish. All right, it's very much America first. So Joe Biden is more nationalist, more protectionist than than Donald Trump, or at least you can make an argument in in that direction. So we are steadily walking away from globalism. America is no longer trying to you know maintain freedom of the the sea so that uh, you know globalism can keep going in its merry way. We are and have been for approximately five years in the midst of a reshoring revolution. So many companies finding that, particularly with automation, it's cheaper to build things in the United States. So tens of thousands of jobs are moving back to the United States. And I, I think this will only continue that trend. And so much of this legislation is a big bet on the power of uh, computer chips, which, you know, from where I stand in February 2023, does seem like a, a reasonable bet. So this this legislative agenda, it is, you know, broadly populist, aiming at restoring jobs to working class Americans. It is nationalistic because it, it is very much America first and everyone else can you know, do do whatever they want. But this is legislation is all about uh, the interests what what Biden and company see as the interests of, of America. So it's nationalist, it's populist, it's protectionist. And uh, so this is Fortress America. And it's in many ways a continuation of Donald Trump's agenda, just just uh, with with more legislative successes. I mean, success in the terms of getting legislation passed, not necessarily success in the terms of the legislation is going to do good. So it is interesting as I think Peter Zion has made the point over the last thirty years, the the least globalist, you know, American presidential candidate has, has always won. So H. W. Bush was more, you know, globally oriented than Bill Clinton. Uh, George, uh, Robert Dole more than uh, Bill Clinton in nineteen ninety six. Uh, Al Gore was more globalist than George W. Bush in two thousand. George W. Bush was less globalist than John Kerry in two thousand and four. Uh, John McCain was much more of an interventionist and, and a globalist probably than Barack Obama in 2012. So this is a continuation of, of a protectionist, you know, America first trend that has been building fairly steadily over the past 30 years as America is steadily disengaging from globalism and reshoring tens of thousands of jobs. Now, the in terms of what uh, the Infrastructure Act, one of the pieces of legislation, will do, um, it uh, it it has one point two trillion dollars that's uh, set out for uh, funding over the span of a decade. Uh, the idea is that uh, roadways. Uh, cables, bridges, uh, and <laughs> a green electrical grid will all be constructed. Uh, then, of course, there's the CHIPS Act, uh, and the idea behind that is the American production of semiconductors, uh, and that has associated with it, I believe, $280 billion. Then, of course, there's the Inflation Reduction Act, which uh, it, it is plain to see, uh, admittedly, by some of the Democrats who support it. It's not going to reduce inflation, but, you know, whatever. It's just to name. Uh, it's, it includes $400 billion uh, worth of subsidies that are uh, designed for utilization by green tech uh, also over the span of a decade. Uh, uh, there's a bit of debate over whether or not it's going to be $400 billion or $800 billion ultimately. Uh, so the legislation is so uh, cloudy uh, that people can't even figure out exactly how much money you know there is being set aside. Go figure. It definitely does not uh, instill confidence. Uh, so it's, it's, the, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, it's, it's very complicated. Uh, it's a very complicated situation with many different moving parts. There's also uh, a, a rule that uh, batteries have to be uh, have to be produced in North America, and there are limitations on uh, the importation of technical goods. Uh, and there's also a, a set of limitations on uh, the exports of, of 
tech, like the, uh, uh, excuse me, on technical goods being exported, uh, purportedly due to national security reasons. Uh, it's really, uh, it's kind of, it's very confusing to even talk about because, like I said, there's so many moving parts between these, these, uh, these bills uh, and you try to figure out as you're talking about each of them how does this relate to the other what's the outcome of uh, this relationship going to be uh and it's it's really uh it, it it is almost overwhelming but the fact of the matter is it's so much uh <laughs> so much in terms of just all the stuff there so much in terms of all the money associated with this stuff and so much in terms of all of the uh interlocking uh uh connections relationships whatever they're gonna have to take place in order to make these three uh bills work with each other to achieve the white house's desired outcome that it's it, this to me sounds the idea that this will be successful is quite fanciful to say the least typically what happens when such a, an ambitious thing is set out uh such an, an ambitious course of action is that it all goes to hell because nothing works as intended because you could lay something out on a piece of paper uh, or in, in this case several volumes <laughs> worth of paper uh and you could say this is you know the eighty-five thousand point plan uh a, a to z to the power of a thousand and this is the way it's going to be uh but of course reality particularly when you're talking about uh economic planning over a decade does not uh agree with what people theorize over so it's 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 uh it's i think this is definitely setting uh setting america's economy up for some real problems put mildly it, it sure sounds like it, if anything could be the prospect of another cylinder this would be it anything to say about what i brought up luke well not not directly so let me just move to the side and and ask you a question do you think that overall our federal government and our state governments and our local governments did a better than average job with regard to COVID, an average job or a below average job? That's very hard to answer because there are so many radical differences from state to state, in some cases, locality to locality. I think that the federal government under Trump with warp speed did an outstanding job. Uh, unfortunately, it got politicized to hell. Uh, and today, the, then the federal government uh, during both the Trump and Biden administrations was overselling the vaccine uh, and uh, you know basically making promises that can never be kept with regard to what would happen with COVID. This, I would see those started under Trump Trump, the, these unfortunate things are certainly accelerated under Biden, uh, and that only adds to the politicization of it. I think that uh, it's hard to say in any general sense how state and local governments did, uh, because it's just too disparate what happened from place to place. And Uncle Sam, uh, I, I would say he started off on a very high note, uh, and then he uh, sort of screwed himself up by uh, basically talking too much. Well, would you say that uh, more often than not, the experts, including Anthony Fauci, were more right than wrong with regard to COVID. Oh, I would certainly say he was more right than wrong, but I would also say that he made certain statements that absolutely undermined uh, his his overall narrative. It's sort of like talking about the facts 95% of the time, but saying, uh, well, then 5% of what you say is untrue, or if not absolutely untrue, it, it's said in a way that could easily be interpreted uh, to be something other than what the facts are. Uh, and obviously this 5% uh, sidelined the other 95%. Okay, so I think that the experts uh, did did better than average with with regard to to COVID, and this is applicable because during during the the first two years of COVID, in particular, we had rule by experts. Like ordinary rights were frequently taken away or substantially reduced, and we had rule by experts. And I you know, look back on that, and I think they did a better than average job. So I am open that it's possible that you know Joe Biden's experts who are going to be you know the recipient of hundreds of billions of dollars it is possible that they're going to do a, an above average job it's not like the experts are always wrong I, I mean think about the United States developing the nuclear bomb we threw billions of dollars at it and we we pulled it off we, we threw, I don't know, approximately $40 billion on Operation Warp Speed, and we produced a COVID vaccine in absolutely record time. So it's, it's not like the experts are always wrong. You know, they, they, may well, they may well use much of this money 
effectively and efficiently. And then the other thing that always comes into this is events, my dear boy, events, as Harold McMillan answered the, the reporter asking, what's going to determine the success of your administration? So it's entirely possible that in all these you know, tens of billions of dollars being thrown around, that it may cushion America from external shocks or uh, you know, unexpected uh, problems that, that come our way. So we live in an incredibly complicated, you know, topsy-turvy world. And the, the idea of America becoming you know, a little more self-sufficient and reshoring more jobs is not one that I have a violent reaction against. It seems like the world's becoming a more dangerous place than it has been for the past 30 years. And so moving in the direction of making America more self-sufficient, uh, that that has a, a certain logic to me. I don't, you know, I don't reject it, and I, I don't think it's bad just because uh, the government is having a big role in determining industrial policy. I, I think it's, you know, entirely possible that uh, having an industrial policy, such as towards computer chips, uh, reshoring jobs, and you know, reducing our dependence on China, uh, that all makes logical sense to me. So I, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not stuck in doom and gloom about all this legislation. I think, you know, much of it may very well redound to America's benefit. One thing is certainly clear. We're going to have much more rule by experts. The experts will have more money, more power, more prestige, and the people who are connected to experts will, will benefit more than ordinary Americans. Pass. I think that if one's refer to the development of the atomic bomb or uh, Operation Warp Speed, that was a, a massive amount of governmental money and power directed at a specific objective in as short a period of time as possible. Uh, this is uh, talking about what's going on with these three articles of legislation. Uh, it, it, they basically call for economic planning over a decade, uh, and the planning relates to so many different things that, as with you know before, it's hard to even to even summarize them uh, it, it, it's it's almost madness uh whenever the government tries to do anything like this throughout history whether you're talking about the new deal or the great society uh or there are many other things uh too i uh, can't even begin to get into them here uh what takes place is that events uh as mcmillan said uh sideline uh, intentions and this is just human nature. Uh, the more complex a plan is, the longer it takes to unfold, uh, the more people that have to be involved with implementing it, uh, the higher the likelihood of failure is. Uh, obviously, this is why in business, the most clear, direct, and uh, easy to follow of plans, uh, and the plans that don't take the longest amount of time to implement, are the ones which tend to be the most successful. Uh, and with the government, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a very different ballgame than the private sector. Uh, however, looking at at at, uh, at how public policy goes, uh, there, there's no question that between issues of you know one party controlling Congress, one party controlling the Oval Office, the Supreme Court now being quite conservative, uh, th th this 10-year economic plan is not destined to uh, to meet ideals. I would say it's basically impossible. Uh, so you know, I mean, we'll see what happens. But uh, I think that that what the Biden administration has done is is basically uh, bake a pie in the sky, uh, and that sort of thing is is very very often uh, it, it's something that is done in squandering time and money. Now, getting back to the article, uh, skipping way down, uh, it, it talks about the the nature of the plan. Uh, a giant plan that has so many disparate objectives does not simply succeed or fail. Its full consequences may not become clear for many years. However, you do not have to be Ayn Rand to question whether the government is up to managing such an ambitious set of projects. For example, because American environmentalism has put preservation first, it takes more than a decade to obtain the necessary permits to connect a renewable project in Wyoming to California's grid. Likewise, if industries are encouraged to focus on lobbying rather than innovating and competing, then costs will rise. If some of the aims are contradictory, requiring jobs to be in America would be good for some workers, no doubt. But if green projects such as wind turbines become more expensive, then the green transition will become more expensive too. Uh, and just skipping down a bit more, it is said that the entire enterprise may be hard to pull off 
for lack of affordable workers. The plan would never create lots of solid working class jobs. Uh, in today's manufacturing, robots staff the assembly lines. And skipping down even further, it is said that the administration has an answer for its critics. It says that if America can develop new technologies, build supply chains that are less dependent on China, and drive down the cost of clean sources of energy, everyone will be better off. Uh, and uh, it's, I'll just skip down to read the last bit of the article here that I'll get to. Uh, for better or worse, Mr. Biden's blueprint for making the economy will change America profoundly. Uh, there's, uh, in a skipping down a bit more, but there, but be under no illusions. It is audacious to believe that the way to cope with three problems, which are too hard to tackle separately, is to deal with them all at once. Uh, and you know, that, that, that's obviously very true. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's, it did three problems were China and, you know, it's, it's present political situation, uh, but the economist calls, uh, voters, uh, coming around to radical and, uh, counterproductive political positions and, uh, obviously climate change. So those are the three, uh, the three things that the economists, uh, viewed as problematic uh it's 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 really uh it's really interesting uh because you one would imagine that if the government wants to tackle something rather than have such a hodgepodge lodge basically uh it would have targeted legislation that does not uh require all these interlocking parts um, it, it would be it would not be these three pieces of legislation that cover so much and do so over the span of a decade it would be uh targeted legislation at you know a problem a and then another piece of legislation to do with problem b uh or an executive order to this effect if legislation can't get through congress uh so it's really something that the biden administration has done this uh, i really i have i i, I have no belief whatsoever that things are going to be as rosy as, as the administration predicts they will be, just because I've seen how the government operates in the past. And, uh, you know, human nature over the span of a decade, can, it could not even be uh, shaped by the Soviets. So I can hardly believe that it'll be shaped uh, successfully by Uncle Sam. Uh, it, it's really uh, interesting what, what Biden has done, I'd say interesting in a bad way. Although I think that a lot of this may not even be, despite claims of, 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 of his administration, it, it may not even be intended to have that big of a positive economic effect. It could just be something that was done to titillate uh, parts of the Democratic base and uh, potentially uh, hand out government contracts to various companies that are reliable donors to the Democratic Party and obviously uh, Democrats in Congress. So it's 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 very interesting there. I think there could be many different reasons as to why these three bills came about. And looking at them from 30,000 feet, so to speak, I am not confident that they will uh that, that they will achieve their objectives but <laughs> uh, mildly well think about the medium that we're speaking on right now this was not created by people who failed to graduate high school this was the internet was a medium that was created by the defense department and those who were you know doing doing its bidding and it was the creation of experts and uh, YouTube and, and Twitter. Again, the, the creation of experts. Now, you have to be very smart to create technology such as what's allowing us to communicate right now. Now, when you are that smart, you will tend to do the things that you enjoy, which will be largely living in an abstract world. When you largely live in an abstract world, you will be particularly prone to all sorts of stupidities that you would not be prone to if you were not living primarily in an abstract world. Mm -hmm. So there are tremendous advantages, tremendous advances that come from very smart people living in an abstract world. And it also comes with tremendous downsides like the, you know, the transsexual craze and, you know, same-sex marriage and, you know, woke culture, et cetera. So, so expertise and brilliance and people living in an abstract world they make very powerful contributions. I would not want to live in a world without these contributions. At the same time, you know, I recognize that there are tremendous downsides. But just because, you know, some experts say, you know, transsexual developments are a great thing doesn't mean that I, you know, deny the value of expertise. Mm -hmm. I'd simply recognize the humanity of experts and I recognize the tremendous vulnerability 
that comes with with living in an abstract world. And there's something you know fairly vulnerable about you know Joe Biden's agenda in that it, in large part it is a venture into the unknown. And so there will you know will very probably be you know a massive misallocation of resources. There will be all sorts of announcements and predictions that will not come true. That uh, you know many parts of green energy simply cannot be you know massively expanded in an efficient way such as car batteries all right they're very complicated to make we have you know no reason to believe that uh, car batteries will become you know twice as powerful and half as heavy in the next 10 years so much of what this agenda is going to is definitely not going to work out but uh, you know that there is a point there is a hope that some of it will incentivize, you know, high-level research that does come up with some good things, such as the internet, right? It wasn't private entrepreneurs who developed the, the internet, the, the federal highway system, all right? That, that wasn't, you know, libertarians getting together and building roads. That came from big government. Uh, nuclear bombs, right, that ended World War II came from massive expenditure by government. Now, I think the odds that we will have a breakthrough with green energy, you know, akin to the development of nuclear weapons, I would say the odds are well under 1%. So, you know, that's that's highly unlikely. But th there may be some, you know, positive uh, payoffs to all this. I, I don't think we should uh, become, you know, overly discouraged. We should, we should uh, keep our eye on you know, the ever-increasing powerful rule by experts and those who play the game and the the coalition of experts and their deals with, with the media and their deals with, you know, other parts of society. So the, the experts could not rule without making coalitions, all right? Without making effective coalitions, they wouldn't rule. So who do they make the coalitions with? You know, currently it's a high-low coalition. You know, the, the most educated and the least educated, you know, team up to, to vote for, for the, the Democrats, and Republicans are basically the, the party of the middle. So I'll be keeping an eye on the, the coalitions that form around this money, the, the deals that they make, the claims that are being made. The claims are going to be way beyond the expertise of, of me and you, but, uh, you know, I hope that there will be some people with the expertise to challenge. And in the final analysis, that which cannot continue will not. So even if we spend, say, $100 million and it is useless, at a certain point of failure, it, it will be abandoned and we will be forced by reality to shift in a more productive direction. So in the final analysis, uh, Joe Biden is not the boss, and, and Donald Trump is not the boss. The situation is the boss. The situation is constantly changing, but the situation is ironclad in that that which cannot continue will not. So, for example, I don't believe that the explosion of violent crime we've had in this country since 2014 will continue. I believe that there will be blowback against it from, from the left as well as the center and the right because just regular Americans are simply not going to you know, be at ease with this, you know, massive devaluation of the quality of life in this country, there will be, you know, more effective uh, policing and, you know, criminal justice measures passed that will will rein in our explosion of crime, I would expect, this decade. Now, here's an interesting question, uh, uh, getting into politics a bit. Uh, the Democratic Party's uh, membership uh, on the is very much on the left, comprehensively speaking now, more than it has been. But economic issues have sort of taken a back seat, unless you're talking about some very young progressives who uh, talk about it a lot, uh, to social issues. And that's something because economics affect everyone uh, perpetually. There's never a time when people are not affected by uh, the economy. Uh, but at the same time, the Democrats have emphasized social issues. Uh, and uh, when they do something about economics, it's like this, you know, uh, central planning green stuff. Uh, so, uh, but it, it, this is sort of, like I said, an aberration uh, because it, it goes back to the New Deal. It's sort of an anachronism. Uh, it goes back to the Great Society as well. 
you know, still an anachronism. Uh, but uh, the Democrats today are much more focused on, you know, stuff like transgender rights and uh, uh, now increasingly hate speech laws, this sort of thing. Uh, why do you think that the Democrats have uh, shied away from economics so much, even though, uh, like I said, economics are perpetually relevant? Uh, great question. And it would depend on which Democrats. So I, I think you're talking about hyper-educated, you know, people with uh, the people graduate who run degrees. The party, yeah. yeah, who who are focused on the, the woke agenda, meaning the sacralization of, of blacks and, and gays and transsexuals and, and Jews. Uh, I think for, for Democrats who don't have graduate degrees, who don't even have college degrees, I think the primary emphasis is on the economy. And I am somewhat heartened for, for the first time in my lifetime. I think I am seeing the halting of left-wing cultural advance success and even some rollback, such as what uh, Ron DeSantis is effectively doing at times, it appears, in, in Florida. I don't think woke is on the ascendant. I, I think, you know, woke is moving ahead in some ways. It's being rolled back in other ways. But I think, you know, regular Americans are not really on board with, with woke. So I, I think there's there's substantial pushback to the to the woke agenda. And I think uh, the the only winning formula for, for Democrats is not to run on woke, but to run on uh, policies similar to this Joe Biden legislation, you know, promising, you know, better results for working Americans. So I am heartened that, that I don't believe wokeism is a winning political agenda for, for Democrats. And I think it's, it's much better for, for Democrats to focus on these kind of working class, populist, nationalist, protectionist agendas that, that Biden is focused on compared to the work agenda. I think that wokeness is on the rise in pop culture. It's cementing its dominance, uh, which is different than a true national culture, needless to say. Uh, and it is in certain states through the administrative uh, bureaucracy, uh, definitely on the rise. Then places like Florida, it's being combated heavily and in other uh, states and localities as well. Uh, so wokeness is, uh, it is something of a mixed bag, even though I still think it's gaining steam because uh, the, the folks who, uh, who, who, who make the big decisions have decided to throw in with wokeness, whether it's because they believe in it or they're just using it as a vehicle to attain power. The Democratic Party is changing. It's become much more hostile toward, for instance, Israel and much cooler about uh, the Jewish community than it has been in the past. Uh, and that's obviously because it is trying to, uh, how do I say this? Uh, it is trying to appeal to newer communities of immigrants and others uh, that uh, are, are, are either prone to anti-Semitism or anti-Zionism. And this is something one sees uh, in the left across the Western world. Uh, it, it's, it's really interesting. So the Democrats are in transition uh, in a host of ways, I'd say, away from, uh, away from their traditional uh, you know, focus on uh, lunch pail economic issues. Uh, they're certainly becoming less uh, welcoming with regard to, to, to Jews. And uh, they are also becoming much more uh, militant uh, in, in their opinions. There, there are far less moderate Democrats, however one should wish to define a moderate Democrat today, than there were 10 years ago, and vastly less than there were 20 years ago. I don't even need to get into like 30 years ago, uh, which by now, I mean, it's almost been 30 years since the 1994 midterms, which arguably began the present era of American, well, not not quite the present era, but it certainly was, was is an event that uh, ha had massive consequences for the present era of American politics. And somehow it always ends up with with more power in the in the hands of experts. I'm just thinking about my experience in education, Joseph. I I, I started attending regular school in second grade, and I had this kind of weird sense that I couldn't articulate at the time. But there was always some new fad blowing through with regard to education. One one consistent part of my childhood was that uh, competition was heavily discouraged. As a result. Now, boys like me, you know, lost almost any interest in school because, you know, we lived to, to fight and to compete. But think about, you know, over the past century, almost every year there's some new educational fad blowing through. 
and you know none of them have say closed the the, the black white uh, educational attainment gap right almost you know 100 years of educational fads have been absolutely useless and so to the extent that this you know money goes to to people you know with with a similar outlook to you know those in the education profession always you know pushing you know new useless fads then it will be probably worse than worthless because we'll be you know rewarding you know destructive members of of society and so the other problem will be that you know a lot of this money is definitely going to be wasted but we we won't even know because there will be such a lockstep agenda on the part of experts in power along with their enablers in the news media and in non-governmental organizations and in in politics i mean just think about normal academic you know research uh, the the editor-in-chief of lancet said you know much of the scientific literature perhaps half is may simply be untrue we're reflected by studies with small sample sizes tiny effects invalid exploratory analyses flagrant conflicts of interest together with an obsession for pursuing fashionable trends of dubious importance science has taken a turn toward darkness and science now is is rarely undertaken by the individual gentleman science is a huge business all right mm. it, it requires sad. you know it, it requires committees and consensus and if you don't get on board with the consensus you don't get funded mm. so yeah i have a tremendous concern about the growing power of expertise with the accompanying reduction in the power of ordinary Americans to shape their own fates and even to, you know, to vote for the people who will rule them because more and more power is simply being devolved to experts who are beyond the reach of ordinary Americans. Now, here's uh, something else that's interesting. Uh, looking at science and how it has become politicized, there's actually a report that I, I feel stupid for not being able to cite the, the source, but it was a report that I read, uh, I think about is in December or early last month, uh, and it indicated that in recent years there has been effectively no new innovation uh, coming out of uh, of the, uh, if you could call it this, scientific community uh, over the last several years. Uh, it, it's, it's really astounding, uh, but I wasn't terribly surprised when I read this. Now, obviously, uh, smartphones get their updates, uh, grids, electrical grids get uh, repairs. But what this report referred to is that there was no real a wide ranging dynamism in science uh, in recent years, things have been sort of stagnant. Uh, and uh, obviously that relates to what you were talking about where science has become much more bureaucratic, it's become a business. Uh, it's not so much the, the gentleman scholar anymore uh, going out there and discovering new things. It's not Thomas Edison in his bow tie working in his laboratory. So it's, it's really interesting. What do you think, Luke, about the, uh, the, the downfall of modern science? Well, I mean, first of all, we have to, I think, recognize the good things that it does, such as Operation Warp Speed, uh, for example. Certainly. And, you know, I love my iPhone and I love, you know, internet streaming technology. So there are a lot of good things going on, but that there are, you know, a great deal of wasted resources and, you know, power is heavily concentrated by people who watch each other's backs and you know, they, they line up for each other and you get funding and you get you get power by playing the game and essentially you know throwing in with you know whatever is the dominant expertise of the, the moment you know however removed that is from from reality so yeah it's been politicized science ruthlessly uh and uh it, it's a damn shame but obviously this affects a lot of things including uh, and most especially research on the importance of biological heredity, uh, which can be very politically incorrect to say the absolute least, but there shouldn't be any politics associated with it because we're talking about the study of human biology, which exists independently of any political ideology. But, uh, you know, it's, it, it, if this continues, it'll stymie research into cures for cancer. Uh, it will stymie research into anti-aging uh, maneuvers. It will stymie research into uh, genetic mutations that could somehow lead to uh, people not even getting a disease, which they otherwise would have. Uh, it's, it's really, it's really, 
it's really something else. Uh, Luke, what's your take on the on the uh, on the situation with politicized science? Well, it's it's always been this way in a sense, in that there have always been certain basic truths that you cannot say out loud in in any society. So denying that the Trinity, for example, would get you burned at the stake in John Calvin's uh, Zurich, and you know, noting that the different groups have, have different gifts, that will also, you know, get you metaphorically burnt at, at the stake. But there are, you know, there are brave scientists doing great work, like uh, Nathan Kofnis, he's got Absolutely. a position at the University of Cambridge. Uh, J. Michael Bailey has done important scientific work w with regard to the, the transsexual craze. So there is good work being done, and you know, we need, we need, brilliant people going out there who are not just brilliant, but also strong and, and courageous and, and willing to, to buck the consensus and willing to sacrifice, right? You, you can't be, you can't play the role of a hero and do it on the cheap, right? It's going to come with, with a tremendous price. So we need good, strong people who are both, you know, wise and brilliant and have the strong internal stuff to be able to hold up under you know tremendous uh, criticism and yet not become bitter not become you know angry resentful uh lashing out and and therefore you know alienating people who could possibly support them so you know amy wax professor at the university of pennsylvania in their law school has you know been tremendously brave so we, we have some some you know good people doing some some good things and they deserve our support absolutely correct it's just a shame that uh due to uh circumstances being what they are right now uh good scientists are are not uh incentivized i will say to uh to actualize their full potential uh, politics gets into it and that's a, a truly terrible thing but uh, you know uh what else is new we live in an intensely uh polarized age politically speaking polarized in other respects as well now uh, luke uh talking about covid uh which we we did get into a bit why do you suppose what took place, obviously, in 2020 is that the left, including Biden and Harris, were saying, who's going to trust the vaccine? Are you going to take the vaccine, the Trump vaccine? And then uh, once Biden uh, was inaugurated, people on the right, despite Trump encouraging them to not be negative about the vaccine, uh, they, they start saying the vaccine is evil, this, that. And some people say this has something to do in some way, shape or form with Trump's influence on them, but that's just nonsense. Even now, he's getting booed by many sectors of his base who don't like that he's saying that the vaccine is not, you know, poison or something like that. Uh, so why do you think that this vaccine has engendered such a bizarrely politicized response? Uh, and it's not in the sense of mindless Trumpism either, because obviously uh, people are who voted for Trump are bucking him. And people who uh, said, I'm never going to get the vaccine when he was president uh, became absolutely fanatical devotees of it to the point of encouraging federal mandates? I think part of it is uh, people who see the country going in what they, they regard as a negative direction are going to be you know, strongly incentivized to lash out at you know, further cultural, social changes, particularly when they're mandated by big government. And so they may you know, very easily lash out inappropriately. So I do not, generally speaking, agree with Republicans on the right with, with regard to COVID. I, I generally speaking, I guess I agree more with Democrats in that you know, I'm, I'm pro-vaccine. I am open to the lockdowns being possibly more beneficial than, than negative. Uh, I, I think that there are certain situations where a big government response is the, the most appropriate one. So I, I'm not sure that the the libertarian response of, you know, let everyone do their own thing with regard to COVID would, would have been wise. In fact, you know, I don't believe it It would be. But when when you're losing, when you feel like the culture is turning against you, when you feel like you're losing your own country, uh, you're going to be strongly incentivized to just lash out wildly. And so I think this this is one reason why I think there are just so many brain-dead perspectives on on the right and with regard to Republicans with with uh, COVID, which was, you know, one example of where a big government response was largely a good idea.
It's uh, why do you suppose then that today a lot of Trump's uh, supporters are angry at him for not turning against the vaccine? They basically a lot of them think that's going to kill everyone who took the vaccine, and uh, they're angry at him for not sharing their point of view. It, it's not devotion to Trump per se, and I don't know how much it would have to do with the culture war because this really isn't cultural that I could tell. Uh, any idea about this? Because it really is fascinating. Yeah, well, I think it's people who who feel like the country is being away from them, that, that the America that they grew up and loved uh, is being destroyed and, and part of their part of their anger is against you know, big government and intrusive government and the, the way that government funded the vaccines and then pushed the vaccines and in some cases mandated the vaccines, it rubs them, rubs them the wrong way even though I, generally speaking, agree with, with supporting vaccination for COVID and for other things. So I think it's like, okay, it's like dating. All right. Let's say you, the typical bloke, right, gets, you know, rejected probably nine times for every girl who says yes to him. And so many blokes, after they get rejected by five girls, they just turn nasty for absolutely no reason to some totally innocent woman. You know, think about the, the rage against women by many incels or many men who've been humiliated by women, and then they take it out on women who don't deserve it. And so I think in a similar way for many Republicans, they take their rage out of a country that they feel is getting away from them. They, they take their rage against big government. They take their rage against the power of unelected experts. And frequently, particularly in this case, they misapply their, their rage. There, there are far better targets for their rage than Anthony Fauci. It's, it's I guess, the, the fervor that sh which some Republicans feel over abortion also relates to this. Uh, it, it's it's really uh, something else, to, to say the absolute least, uh, because you know, when it comes to abortion, it benefits the Republicans demographically. Yet a lot of Republicans, have, even in the face of abortion costing them so much in the midterms, have just doubled down on, you know, uh, opposing it, despite the fact that it's clear that the public is not on their side, generally speaking. Uh, with regard to this issue, and the issue is not going to go away in succeeding election cycles. Yeah, so political responses are in large part, you know, hardwired, and sometimes they're adaptive and sometimes they're maladaptive, meaning in some circumstances, the, the right-wing approach of having more skepticism of, you know, social innovations in building families and community, you know, frequently that's adaptive to be highly skeptical of, you know, any innovations. But sometimes there are innovations in building families and community that are probably a good idea. So to, you know, fear of strangers, uh, frequently that's highly adaptive, but there are going to be some circumstances where, you know, more openness to strangers is, is going to be more productive and, and adaptive. So both left and right have all sorts of adaptations to reality that are hardwired into them. And, you know, one, one approach is going to work in one circumstance, then circumstances change and that approach, you know, stops working. So many species have, have walked the earth and then got extinct. So they, they had adaptations that work for a while and then they stopped working. And so both with the left and the right, they have adaptations to reality that uh, may triumph, you know, one day and then lead to absolute destruction the next day. So... You can just see, you know, rampant self-destruction on both the, the left and and the right. I mean, the the circular firing squad nature of the the left-wing Democratic coalition, where the only thing they have in common is you know, hatred of, of white people, and then the you know the dumbing down of Republican politics to just this knee-jerk hatred of experts, such as embodied by Anthony Fauci, is also uh, seems to me pretty stupid and maladaptive. It's uh, it's an interesting situation, to say the absolute least. There's no question that each party has staked out a position where they reactionarily oppose whatever the other is up to for the sake of basically virtue signaling, which is what one finds in societies that are crumbling. Uh, anyway, I, I was going to, to say, uh, as we do begin to unfortunately, very unfortunately, wind things down. Now, getting back to the economy itself, do you think that inflation will be a presuming that inflation does not end anytime soon that it keeps you know uh 
being rather high. Do you think that it will be a political issue in 2024? Let's just say that the inflation crisis has not ended by that stage. And uh, generally speaking, American politics are more or less the same place they are now. Do you think that inflation would be uh, on the minds of voters like people thought it would be in 2022 in the midterms? And that only turned out to be partially true. Obviously, abortion was much uh, more of a deal than a lot of folks said. And I was one of the folks who's a Republican that said, no, it's going to be a big deal. But a lot of folks, uh, you know, uh, basically spat at that. And then I had I was going to say I had the last laugh, but I wasn't glad at all about all the Democrats who won. So I certainly wasn't laughing that much. But all, all the same, uh, do you think that inflation will be a big political issue, all things being equal in 2024? Do you think it'll be something that gets easily eclipsed, as was the case in 2022? Eclipsed I- or, or, or kept or something gets to be on par with it? I think it will be a significant issue for the next decade. I I don't see any chance that we're going to have less than 4% inflation per year for for the rest of the decade. I'm meaning we'll we'll have inflation 5, 6, 7% for for years to come. Now, I I don't think it will necessarily be the number one issue, but certainly be in the top five. Now, unfortunately, I am unexpectedly just completely running out of energy, so I do need to wrap things up say in the next five minutes understood entirely well i was going to say for somebody who's running out of energy you do a very good job of barreling through all the same so uh i hope you take that as a high compliment uh now uh yes so so we are uh, unfortunately going to uh going to close out the show tonight uh luke anything to say at all about the state of the american economy before we go anything that you didn't get to say please feel free to say it now yeah, the world's a far more complicated place than we can possibly comprehend. So a knee-jerk assumption that the experts are always right or usually right or usually wrong just does not serve you. A knee-jerk assumption that democratic you know, economics is inevitably bad or inevitably good or that Republican economics are inevitably good or inevitably bad also doesn't serve you. The world's so complicated and, you know, we we should just you know be alive to to changing situations and to you know be be open to where our assumptions about reality aren't working very well so that we can continually develop and embrace more sophisticated you know top down models of how the world works how the economy works how our politics work as well as being open to ever more sophisticated and accurate models of you know from the, the bottom up from inside ourselves you know how how we work, you know, we, we should be humble that, you know, reality is infinitely more complex than we can possibly comprehend. Or we can at best do is the equivalent of, you know, seeing shadows dancing on a cave. And, and so therefore we, we don't have to put as much of our self-worth into, you know, being right about political or economic uh, trends. It's, it's a fun game, but, you know, we are just, you know, tiny, vulnerable individuals in a complicated constantly changing and infinitely complex world and so it's it's you know it's good to to be open to where our expectations are getting say more steadily out of touch with reality and then if that happens we need to refine our understanding of the world around us so that we have more sophisticated and accurate you know top-down models about what's you know buzzing on in politics and economics very, very interesting words to ponder. Luke, thank you for sharing them. And thank you very much for having tuned in uh, tonight, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed this discussion as much as I have. Luke, even though uh, you're a bit tired, I hope you enjoyed stopping by tonight. Yes, very much. I always enjoy talking to you, Joseph. Thank you. Same cheers. here, Luke. And I, cheers. I look forward to chatting with you again very soon. Absolutely. Take care. Well, saying to you, have a great night, everyone. Stay safe. Be well. Thanks again for tuning in and cheers to you.